Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I'm hovering near death, but, uh, you know, let's just do the show anyway. It's his quiet fortitude that inspires me most. That's right. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. I'm filled with life and vibrancy. <laughs> and nerds. <laughs> And nerds. <laughs> delicious, delicious candied nerds. Jane found these oversized candy nerds that are crunchy on the outside and chewy in the middle, and they are amazing. We seriously cannot stop eating them. They're not, to wow. be clear, they're not good. Nope, but they're amazing. But they're just, they're we, an experience that must be had. We literally live walking distance from the factory where they make them, and I think that's like, I don't know if those are available like Whoa. in the wild. Fresh off the line. Exactly a, right. We got a big, giant tub of them. They're exclusives, people. <laughs> That's right. Joining us all the way from Rokerage, Tennessee, a city known for producing a different kind of nerd. One of the pastors of Christ <laughs> Community Church, Lee Younger. <laughs> Must be nice to have giant nerds, Jed. Oh, man, it's great. I'd recommend it to anybody. Again, the thing man. about that is you wouldn't. Every time you eat them, this is what Jed says. He, he, he says, say, I don't know if these are good or not, but I can't stop eating them. Yep. <laughs> And that says something profound about Jed Brewer's relationship with food. Yep. (laughs) But before we get into the show tonight, we don't have time to get through Jed's psycho uh, psychosocial attachment to very unhealthy foodstuffs that we did have uh, from Twitter. A friend of the show, Todd Warren, uh, send us all the link to if somebody made like a hot Cheeto bunt cake. Yes. Oh, Lord. With wow. a possible idea for a recurring segment, and feel free to join on social media, of will Jed eat it? <laughs> yep. And the answer is always going to be yes. Yep. Let's be clear about that. Well, it was it was like mac and cheese crusted with flaming Hot Cheetos and then surrounded by other another type of cheese in the bunch shape. Yeah, it yep. was concerning. Wow. Um, but we don't have time to get into that right now. We have to get into other... Jed related matters because I declare a this is really weird emergency. Ooh. Oh. It's another thing that came in. Our <laughs> friend of the show, David, emailed us with a, a link to a video. Is he a of friend you... of the show or is he a super fan? Because other shows have friends of the show. We have super fans. They're best fans in the world. And they send us meat. That was aggressive. <laughs> And if you didn't hear the last, ep- this is if this is your first episode, or you skipped a few and didn't hear the last one, we have the greatest fans, and they send us meat. Might sound a bit ominous. Well, you know what? I don't think we have like first-time listeners that become second-time listeners. No, yeah, like, it's, no. Uh, it's we, an interesting strategy. True, you know. Boutique product. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, how, how do super fans even happen? I don't know. They just they're they're the most amazing people in the world. They get it. They know what's up. They're cool, and they love this show. Indeed. And one such person is our friend David. Yeah. Superfan David sent us a link to a video that is a, and we'll uh, drop in the audio here in a second. It is at some kind of conference. It looked like a hall kind of, you know, thing. I don't know what this was, but this was a woman who had a chart explaining why the Monster Energy Drink logo, get in your mind, it's the big, you know, it's an M, but it looks like it was slashed, and it's all you know green and whatnot. By a monster. Yes, indeed. Um, it looks like why that logo, based on the numerology of the ancient Hebrew alphabet, uh, the ancient Hebrew numerals, 
mm-hmm. is really satanic because mm. one of them looks like the Hebrew number for six. So she, and uh, you just give it a listen. Look at your M closely. There's a gap right here in the letter M. It's never connected. So you go into Hebrew. The letter Vav is also the number six. Short top, long tail. Short top, long tail. You could have here in Hebrew, 666 on the can. Okay, so the thing about that is um, we have, you know, uh, beloved recurring character, Bible numerology, Jed. Right. Yes, we do. Uh, not that beloved. That was me being <laughs> polite. But here's the thing that concerns me about this, and I think this is David's concern as well, is, is it possible that the world at large is patterning itself after Jed's bits? That's disturbing. That's, we, it, we broke and contained yeah. is what's happened. Yeah. Quite because oh, no. because this gal sounds <laughs> like she she's not doing the exact same no. thing Jed is, but it's definitely a shtick. Yeah, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean. Like this is definitely like a would you you know just like it's sure. a conspiracy of yeah, it, complete you know I mean? with the uh, kind of trifold poster board chart. Yeah, showing the Monster Energy logo and the one two three four. But the, it's yeah. it's a problem. It it is. And I think it's time to deliver a message to the competition. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my. He feels threatened by other uh, people doing their other nonsense. Got it on his racket. Don't start a numerology fight. You're not prepared <laughs> to finish. The number gang has your number, and we're coming. The Hebrew for the number seven looks vaguely like the letter T. That's actually true. I looked it up online. The letter T reminds me of Mr. T. And agreeing with him, I would say, I pity the fool who tries to muscle in on this racket. Well, you're you're really pretty disturbed by this development here. Don't start none. Won't numerologically be none. Wow. <laughs> wow, we have what can only be described as numerology beef. Yes, we do. And the kind that references the A-team. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we got to figure out what the roles are because we we got Hannibal, we got Face, we got Mr. T, of course. You know, we got to fill out this cast, y'all. Let me tell you what. Uh, First of all, Monster Energy Drink, I've drank it. Sure. It's evil. Sure, yeah. Not not Satan evil. Just it's a, it's a taste that is happening in my mouth that's evil. It's a, it's an evil that can it's only like, be conceived of by man. Yeah, and marketing it, evil. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's marketing evil. It's taste evil. Sure, it's doing something evil in my body. Yeah, that's true. I, I, it might be a, a, an evil thing. I want my body to be doing. It's in like the a moment. human sacrifice in my mouth, and everyone's invited. <laughs> yeah. So you don't have to. You don't have to Satan it up. Look, I know monsters evil, and I got I can tell you how I know for sure. I can tell you the proof. Okay. Here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to take a big bite of Taco Bell and then wash it down with some oh. monster. Oh. That is not good. Would the sleeves just fall right off your t shirt? Yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. And here's the thing. Any drink that would defile and be foul 
the sweet goodness that is Taco Bell (laughs) is satanic to its core. Wow, that's your definition of evil. That is the worst thing I can imagine. It ruins the the holy purity of Taco Bell food. (laughs) If you make me not want... Taco meat. I didn't say beef. I said meat. Taco meat that's, and nacho cheese. Meat che- with two E's. <laughs> meat that is squeezed out of a tube. And nacho cheese. Right. Well, I say good day, sir. Okay. So yeah. just anything that would put you off of the cow lips and, and hooves and yes. whatever's in Taco Bell meat. This is what I'm saying. That's, oh, my God. That, that, that part's fine. It's yeah. not that you have a problem at all with Taco Bell. No. Oh, Taco Bell's great. It's just. When Monster Energy drank horns in there and ruins everything. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's this is a uh, this is this is bad. But uh, you know, it opens up a really interesting area. Okay. Because what other things are also vaguely like Hebrew letters mm. that are also satanic? Well, that. That's a good question. Um, I think, in a sense, it depends who's paying the bills. Okay. Because, I mean, if we've got, like, an, you know, an interested party that wants to demonize something, we can start right now. Well, that's a great idea. People can people can write in and say, I would like you to demonize something. Yes, fear for hire. You know, um, I, I have, I, I'm a very big fan of the baseball team, the Houston Astros. Okay. I'm a crazed fan, and I'm just... I'm over the top. I've noticed that. Anyone who knows me knows eventually I will drive them crazy with Houston Astros. Okay, okay. Their, this is true. Their rivals are the Texas Rangers. Yes. And uh, we 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 don't care for them. Yes. We really, we don't find them to be, you know, like, uh, acceptable. Yes. And their, the logo that they wear on their hats is like a, it has a big T. Okay. And it's kind of like the... The top of the T kind of droops down a little serif okay. there. Okay. You know okay. Yeah. Mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. A little serif at the bottom of the T. Yeah. You know that's right. I mean? That's right. It looks very Hebrewy. Oh, totally. Yes. So that's probably a symbol for something evil. What would you do to uh, uh, really get in there and explain? The satanic nature of that. The evilness of, of the tea yeah. that, that they use? Yeah. Well, Glenn, I'm glad that you asked. <laughs> As my competition pointed out, in Hebrew, the number six looks vaguely like one of the slashes from the monster logo, okay. which is one half of the Texas Rangers tea. Okay. The tea is composed of two sixes, yet looking with your third eye, which is what they wish for you to open, you can also perceive the third slash, making it 603 score well, and six. It's right there on their forehead, so that's where your third eye would be. Exactly. Opening your brain to astral projection. <laughs> <laughs> the fruits of the devil. Oh wow. That's you did it. You 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 proved the Texas Rangers are satanic and I couldn't agree more. Money, please. Wow. I think we've got a hit, fellas. Yeah, I I think this is a racket we can really ride. Yeah. Yeah, I like this kind of you know, send us any kind of logo and I I'm looking at the the Hebrew numerals right now and it's you know, it's it's ba- as in every uh you know uh, scri- scribal language it's you know it's lines yeah joined in ways we we can make this work for anything totally wait but are, are they lines or are they satanic lines? well that depends on if they're you or the competition oh yeah 
because don't don't try to just have like a line. Yeah. Because that could be satanic. It can and is. You know. That's a part of the the video uh, that we haven't that I now I'm wondering was this is this all viral marketing from Mountain Dew? Ah. <laughs> Mountain Dew Kickstart, the non-satanic option. If you want a cool, refreshing drink, and not Satan, and you don't have sleeves on your T-shirt, you don't love Satan. There's really only one choice for you, and that's Mountain Dew. I will. I'd like to report Mountain Dew does go great. Not only with a tank top, but also a Taco Bell. How about the bunt cake with the hot Cheetos and the, the, you know, whatever it is? You know, I need to get one of those. I don't immediately know how to do that because, let's be honest, I'm not going to cook it. But right. I, I need to find a way to acquire one of those. Yeah. Well, yeah. you got to get the bunt pan. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's, there's a lot of, you know, parts to it. We've discussed many times, if I were like, um, you know, like a, a billionaire, a deranged billionaire, which God's never, ever going to let me be. Because and it's the only kind of billionaire you would be. Exactly. Yeah. I'd be hyper deranged. I would hire like as a private chef, like a three-star Michelin chef, but it would be to make things like that. Yeah, right. I would find <laughs> awful looking stuff online and then ask him to produce yeah. it. Yeah. And let's be clear, it wouldn't be like some kind of Guy Fieri kind of dude who's like down for it. You would find the snootiest, Frenchiest, yep. most Sorbonne trained chef. Yes. And force him just through a truckload of money. Yes. To make hot Cheeto bun cake for you. This is exactly what I would do if I was <laughs> yeah. a billionaire. And I also get the sense that you wouldn't have a, you know, it wouldn't be specific because, you know, you don't want to corrupt the creative process. Right. But you, you know, you'd say, Snickers bars, and truffle oil, go. Exactly just, right. Exactly right. Surprise me. Yes. You know? Yes. You, you know, just you just want to get the ball rolling. Here. I'm an idea man, Glenn. I see. That's that's what I bring. That's to this what equation. the world needs. The kitchen <laughs> of Doctor Moreau, starring Jed Brewer. And with that, numerology completed. We declare emergency off. Off. <laughs> You know, if you drink the Monster Energy drink and it has a the satanic symbol on there, yeah, Satan gets inside your stomach. <laughs> wow, Devil right, sure loves taurine. He goes right down into your kidneys. Yeah, and the Devil's then, really into BMX racing for some reason. <laughs> all over this. I just like the idea that this was viral marketing by Monster. Monster, Satan's favorite energy drink. <laughs> yeah, Monster. Uh, we are. Well, there's there's no numerology involved in Bridgebox. No secret symbols uh, or arcane ruins. Or are there? Ooh. Feel free to go through the issues and try to find them. But uh, on the surface, anyway, it's collections of songs, sermons, lots of stuff to help you out in your spiritual life. We are still in the month of August. We're talking about how do I let go of the past? And you'll get stuff from all of us and that to encourage you and help you out on that. Only $8 a month, missionusa.com. Slash bridge box. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If it all the way to the end, I use some ways to get in touch with this, or you can scroll down into your episode description to find those links. First question comes in as a follow up to the question, first question we answered on last week's show. If you caught that, if you want to go back and re listen to that, that was a question about I kiss dating goodbye, Josh Harris, and all the kind of stuff that has happened about that. So we talked about that aspect of that question. This was the back half of that that I thought warranted its own discussion. The person wrote that question and follows up and says, I'm a woman in my mid-20s. I'm very active in my church, and I'm not dating anyone. 
and I'm really struggling with my flesh. I recently started looking at porn and masturbating, which I haven't done in a long time, and I feel so bad. I wish I could stop. I repent, but it does no good. What am I supposed to do about this? And Glenn, uh, and again, I definitely encourage if you missed it, folks to go back and listen last week. You see, uh, particularly uh, Lee covered a lot of good stuff about that purity culture idea and how that really got into people's brains. So now we have another one of the fallouts we've seen a lot of that on that. And this is, you know, we don't want to pathologize it, but this is a very common thing we've seen with people who uh, had all that. So where do we start off with something like this? Well, first and foremost, it's really important that you understand. I've heard this exact question multiple times in the last three weeks. It's that frequent. This is, you are not alone in this. Um, This is, you know, we talked a lot in the last episode about uh, shame and, and getting out from underneath shame. Uh, this is one of those things where shame is not going to help you and guilt is not going to help you deal with this situation. First and foremost, let's look at it this way. Think of everything about this as a, a system. It's an elaborate system. So you have temptation coming in on one side. You have access to the internet, to all sorts of stuff on one side. You have uh, your physical condition. So that's, are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? That's that's your halt stuff there. Uh, you look at your dating life and what's happening with that. If I go to someone who is engaged and their wedding is three weeks away, and I say, for the next three weeks, don't have anything to do with porn or else... That person will be like, yeah, I can, you know, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's fine. I can, I can three, I can do three weeks standing on my head. It doesn't matter. If you say you are not dating anyone now, you haven't dated anyone really ever, and you can't imagine dating anyone in the future, also have no sex life whatsoever between now and the time that you're you're married. That's a very different thing to ask that person. Yeah. So let's make sure that we understand that this this is a system, and we understand the system, right? You want to do a right thing, and it's not happening. That is a breakdown of the system, because you want to do the right thing. It's not a breakdown of you and a desire for you to be righteous. You start, you know, you, we, we put the, this desire to be righteous in the front of the system. It gets run through all the, the loneliness and the hunger and the tired and stressed out from work and temptation, and then out the other side shoots the sin. And you say, okay, that means I'm bad. Well, no, you know, before you encountered all this, you wanted to do the right thing. So we have sort of a a proof that the, the, as much as the flesh may be weak, the spirit is willing. And Mm. there's actually a, a, an occasion where Jesus makes that distinction in scripture and says that's a good thing. Um, second thing I want to talk about is expectations. What are your expectations on how righteous your life would be, how holy your behavior and sanctified your behavior should be? Um, my guess is it's so insanely high that it makes no logical sense whatsoever. Here's why that's my guess. That's most Christians I know. I, I have a, a very low expectations of my behavior. I, I have a sense of exactly what kind of a monkey I am. 
And every now and then, I overcome those expectations, and I am shocked and thrilled. And it's great, and I can celebrate it. But I talk to people all day long. They say, you know, I just, I expected that I was going to do great. And then I didn't. Then I didn't. I just like, I can't believe it. Can you believe it? <laughs> it's like, I'm looking at you. Yeah, I can believe it. You're young. You're horny. There's The internet just brings this to you. Welcome to the human race. Yeah, I mean, the expectations don't match reality. Uh, very briefly, we were talking a couple of weeks ago at our, our staff meeting, and I was giving an illustration of the, the actor um, uh, 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 Samuel L. Jackson. He was talking about golf. He was playing golf with his buddy. And the, the guy was getting really angry that he was playing poorly. And Samuel Jackson says, why are you angry? He says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm playing so bad. I, I, I'm just so angry with myself because I should be doing better than this. And Samuel L. Jackson said to his buddy, no, you should not. You suck at golf. That's what's happening. That, uh, this, is, this, is perf- <laughs> this is exactly what you should be doing. You should be playing exactly the way you are playing because you aren't good at this. And that's, you know, we have this sense of, I am good mm. at fighting temptation. What gave you that impression? You're human. <laughs> you know, you, if you just finish falling over and over again, your expectations should eventually lower a little bit here. Uh, we think that be, having high expectations makes us aspirational. We, we, we aspire to greatness because our expectations are so high. But here's the thing. If you don't change the system, it's never going to be better. Come on now. So that's the whole, that's where we're all stuck in all this. It's great to have aspirations, but you have, the, the system is what's going to get us there, not your willpower, not your gumption, all that. Final quick little point. When it comes to temptation, here's the thing. Think of it as a number. There's only, you have a level of ability to fight temptation. If it's a scale of one to 100, if you are uh, cooking along at a 77, you're doing pretty good. You're able to fight off that temptation. But you get angry at something that goes down to a 50. You get lonely because you're by yourself in a thing, and that's going to take you down to 30. You have a rough day at work, that's going to take you down to 20. You turn on the internet, and that's it. Because the, the temptation's coming in at level 50. But your ability right. to fight it is down on 20. So... You have to understand that this is a variable number. That's the thing, thing number one. Thing number two is when you're over that number, you will fall to that temptation 100% of the time. It's not a matter of will. It's a matter of that number. That Christians don't like to think that way. The part that you control is the number. Get this number high and keep this number high. That means staying away from temptation because you, you the number is not that high. That means... Getting your, your dating life together, it means getting your prayer life together, it means getting social stuff, controlling your environment, all these different things, because you can only handle so much temptation. I think it's a really fantastic place to start off on that. And Jed, I think one of the very important points Glenn makes there among many is this idea that uh, the context matters. Yeah. In the longer term, your ability to handle temptation is exactly what's Glenn's pointing out. It's... Uh, a combination of very uh, a series of smaller environmental factors, but then there's the general where is all this going that yep. really does have an effect on that, right? There's no doubt about it. The long term solution, um, if if you're saying I've just I've got a lot of desires for physical intimacy, I've got a lot of desires for romantic love, 
the long-term solution to that isn't so much about fighting the urge to look at porn. The long-term solution to that is developing an active relational life. Uh, the, the long-term solution to that is figuring out how to date people and then dating people and then dating one person specifically and then getting engaged and then getting married and then having all the physical intimacy you can shake a stick at. That's, that's the actual long-term solution to all of this. I think the question that we need to ask is, what's in the way of that? That's, that's the thing that, that really, really matters. And there could be a lot of answers to that. I think that feeling shy can be one of the answers to that. I think um, feeling unsure of yourself can be one of the answers to that. Um, I, I think there, there are quite a few, but if we really want to move forward, having a sense of what would actually solve this problem well, and then having a firm sense of why we're not pursuing that today, that's actually how we solve this problem. So yeah. sometimes it can be easy to easier rather to look at a parallel problem that we don't have as much emotional investment in. So let's talk in, weirdly enough, let's talk about money for a second. We work with a lot of men and women who are coming out of prison off the streets in Chicago, and the vast majority of them have very, very little money. And so you see a lot of extreme thriftiness. I'm gonna buy the the I'm gonna uh, crash on my cousin's couch. And I'm going to buy the off-brand ramen noodles. And that's just my life now. Um, and, and I can probably do this forever because it seems to be working today. Now, um, what uh, we do a lot of work with, and particularly our coworker Pete does a lot of work with, is talking to men and women about, okay, let's look at going back to school. Let's look at getting some job training. Let's look at, you know, kind of, you know, building a bit of a career so that you can actually have enough money to live on and you don't have to crash on your cousin's couch and you don't have to eat the, the off-brand ramen noodles. Let's, let's work on a long-term solution. Now, one of the things that often comes up in that journey is a sense of, I find all of those options strange and unfamiliar and intimidating and wouldn't it just be easier to stay on my cousin's couch forever and eat the ramen noodles forever? I think we can all relate to that. I don't think we need to judge that. We, we can, we've all felt that about something in our lives. But I think it also gives us a view of, no, you can't. Your, your cousin's not going to have this apartment forever. So sooner or later, you're going to need your own place. The human uh, stomach, and I say this from experience, the human stomach can only handle so much off-brand ramen noodles. There comes a point where we have to eat real food. Like Taco Bell. Like Taco Bell as God intended. <laughs> so what the funny thing for our question asker is, I think you would know exactly what to say to one of our men and women from the bridge in that moment which is, I know that going back to school is scary. I know that going and doing this job training program is scary, but you can do it. I believe in you. And we're going to take it one day at a time. And I and and it's the scariest right now that it ever will be. And once you take the first step, it'll be a little bit less scary. And then it'll be a little less scary after that. And before you know it, you'll be used to it. And you'll be off to the races. And then you're going to start to feel a sense of momentum off of it. And then you're going to start to get something. And then you're going to start to feel excited about it. Then it's you're actually going to get start to get paid a little bit more. It's going to start to yield benefits. And then you're going to really feel good about it. And it's the hardest it'll ever be right this minute. So let's, I'm going to go with you, but let's get in motion and let's get after it. I think, I think you, that's what you would say to one of our men and women from the bridge. And you'd be right. You'd be right about every bit of it. Now, here's the thing. All of that applies back to you with your dating stuff. 
all that same stuff is true, which is why aren't we investing in the long-term solution of an active, healthy dating life right now today? Probably because we're intimidated and it feels scary and we're not sure and it feels unfamiliar and I don't even know. And the advice that you would give that person at the bridge applies to you, which is it's the scariest right now it ever will be. That You take one step, uh, it's half as scary. You take a second step, it's a third as scary. It gets less and less scary. Then you start feeling comfortable with it. You start to maybe even enjoy aspects of it. You start to feel empowered. It starts to go places. And before you know it, we're off to the races. You can do this. I think one of the cruelest things that this struggle is putting on you right now is a belief that pretty much this is the way it will always be. You, you know, you're kind of awful and you do kind of awful things and it will always be just like this. That's not true. There is a real substantive solution that will get you to a place you feel good about and that God would be thrilled with and that we are cheering you on towards. So get in motion and take that next step. It's a really great point. And Leah, let me just close out here by, I think we can tie this into the question we answered last week with the I can state and goodbye stuff. And it goes exactly to what Jed's saying there of, uh, you know, the, our friend mentions the question of, I repent, but it doesn't do any good. Now, uh, having done this show for a long time and talked to a lot of people, as Glenn's pointing out about this particular issue, my guess would be repent equals feel bad, yeah. which we talked on the show yeah. a lot. It's not actually what that word means. But I think that does uh, stick into a lot of that purity stuff we were talking about last week and the idea that we, by engaging, like doing this, by looking at porn or whatever, we have really set ourselves in some terrible deficit yeah that we have to get out of and why, why is that thinking wrong and what can we replace it with? Well, one of the things that's so interesting about the way you're setting up the question is that it goes exactly back to where Glenn started us, which is it's part of the whole system. Part of the whole system on this thing is the emotional piece. And if you know, the, the question asker used the phrase feeling bad and used the word repenting in the question, I've been repenting and I can't stop feeling bad. Well, exactly as you're saying, Matt, for for a lot of people in in that church culture, especially folks who came out of the purity culture, repenting equals feeling bad. And what they mean by that is, it's my duty before God, when I do something wrong, to go before Him and then feel bad about what I've done and who I am. That's my goal. That's my job. My job is to go, uh, you know, kneel down before Him in His holy presence and just feel bad. That's what repenting means. Uh, because the goal was purity, and now I've learned that I'm not pure. Well, this is part of the whole emotional system that Glenn is talking about. This is what you know lowers those that that threshold of being able to withstand temptation. Is I already feel bad about who I am? Um, we have so many pieces in this that 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 all kind of tip the scale on the system. How can I get myself to a place? to where I am actually able to change this behavior. The problem is, is that for most Christians, what they mean by repenting has absolutely zero power to change any behavior whatsoever. They mean feeling bad. They mean going before God and just feeling terrible about who they are. That won't help you change anything. It it won't help you... It won't help you, um, you know, deal with the behavior that you're that you're trying to alter. It won't help you understand why you're doing any of it, any of it. And in fact, it's not even a biblical thing. In the Bible, the word repent literally means to change your mind about what something's doing for you. The idea of repenting over sin is just to look at a behavior and realize, from God's perspective, I need to change my mind about what I think this is going to give me. 
or how I think this is going to make my life, you know, better or whatever. Um, it's not making it any better. And so I want to make some changes. And then as we start to look at that whole, that, that whole system, I can't shame myself into change. I'm actually going to have to start with something else. I'm going to have to start with the love and acceptance of God. When I actually believe that God loves me, forgives me, has already seen everything that I'm ever going to do in my entire life, and, and has already washed me clean and all that kind of stuff, then I have a, a little more emotional energy to bring into this situation. Then I can start looking at other pieces in the system. Then I can start looking at what are the patterns? What's my emotional state before this happens? What's happened to me in my day before I typically go into this behavior? Does it follow certain emotional um, kind of ebbs and tides? With any kind of behavior that I want to stop, it helps to always ask that why question and find out why I'm doing it. But I can't get to any of those practical matters if I'm just looking at myself as a person who sucks and I should feel bad about the fact that I am bad. Um, I can't start there. I have to start with the love and acceptance of God. And then I can move on to the practical pieces of what do I need to change in the system so that I'm ready to actually get my threshold up so that I can face the temptations that I'm going to, by the way, continue to face. We've got to be able to stop this idea that it's somehow our role or our responsibility to just go to Jesus and feel bad. He doesn't want that. He's already paid for everything. He wants us to feel the love and acceptance so that we can get the emotional energy we need to face the temptations that we're going to face. That is all really fantastic stuff. I think that is spot on. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I don't think I can handle this new life. Don't get me wrong. What I used to do wasn't working, but at least I knew the rules. I have doubts in my abilities and definitely doubt the new people I'm around really want me here. What am I supposed to do about these doubts? And Jed, where would we kick off with this? Well, we very much appreciate you writing in. And uh, I think I think somewhere in there we can all relate to the question that you're asking. I don't know the exact specifics of your situation, but it sounds like you've uh, gotten involved in a faith community, that maybe that's a new thing for you. I don't know if that's a, a church or a parachurch or, or, or something along those lines. And... You, it sounds like you're saying you feel like you don't really fit in, you don't know how to, how to be there, and that people there don't really want you there anyway, so what do you do with all that? That's a fair question. I have a question back for you, and my question back for you is, when you look at your doubts, what percentage of those are evidence-based, as in a thing happened that, that points to this concern, and what percentage of your doubts are based on your feelings or your intuition? It's nothing, I'm, I'm not you know, casting aspersions on either, but my question is, if it's about 90% feelings and intuition, uh, why are we weighting that so heavily? Yeah. In other words, if you go to, let's say you started going to a church. Again, I don't know your situation, but let's say that we, we didn't grow up Christian, but we somewhere along the line we made a faith decision for Christ and we started going to a church. And you show up and, and you know somebody, they hand you a bulletin, and they say, welcome to church, and then, you know, you 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 you, all, you sit in the pews, and you stand up, and you sing this song, you sit down, and somebody says something, you sing another song, and church goes, and then there's the passing of the peace, and people turn, and they say, the Lord be with you, and then the service goes on. Where in that is the rejection? Just so I know. 
Because if that's what it's like, and I don't know that that's what it's like, but if that's what it's like, it sounds like a few things are true. A, you've been welcomed. I'm not saying it's the highest quality welcome in the world. It, it may well not be, but there was probably some kind of welcome that happened. Uh, certainly no one's chasing you off. So the, the idea of like active rejection is almost certainly not going on. I, I think you would know if that was going on. It's been revolutionary at this church. We have the greeting committee. We also have the rejection committee. Absolutely. And it really depends on what door you come through, which one you get. Sort of a purge type situation. Yeah, exactly right. But this is the key thing is, uh, you know, you, you've, I think you've been welcomed. You, again, you almost by default haven't been rejected. But critically, most importantly, you're pulling it off. I mean, like you showed up right. when they were having a service and you That's took it. you took a seat and then you participated in the service. Like when it was time to sing, you I mean, you might have been standing up and mostly mumbling the words. That's OK. No one can tell. You stood up. You, you did the thing. Nobody asked you to leave. You did it. You went to church. You pulled it off. You did it. It's fantastic. That's great. We're actually really proud of you. My, my question to you is, are you giving evidence it's due? Are you, are you, again, some of our doubts, doubtlessly, are based on evidence. Some of our doubts, doubtlessly, are based on feelings and intuition. But if the bulk of the doubts are really based on feeling and intuition, I think it's worth asking, are we giving evidence it's due? Are we giving measurable reality it's due? And if we're not doing that, why might that be? And I have a theory I could be wrong, but I have a theory about why we might be doing this way that we're doing it, which is I feel uncomfortable because I'm new. And if either they don't want me here or they're rejecting me or I can't really pull this off, well, that gives me an excuse to leave. And then I'll have to do this uncomfortable thing anymore. It's great. It's fantastic. I'm free. I mean, I'm back to what my life was before, but I'm also free. That's the part I'm going to emphasize. Sorry, Jed. It's also their fault. And it's they're the worst, but I'm free. (laughs) Look, here's the thing. Um, As someone who seeks out on purpose for this reason, a lot of new stuff in, in life, this feeling of I'm not pulling this off will pass. It really, really will. The way out is through. The way forward is through. Push through these feelings. Again, man, I've been to some rough churches. If they didn't want you there, you'd know. They would tell you. If you weren't pulling it off, you would know. They would tell you. If you went and you participated and nothing caught on fire, you're you're doing awesome. Do it again next week. And then do it the week after that. Do me a favor. Do it for eight weeks in a row and see if you feel different. If you feel no change of any kind, and we have exactly as many doubts eight weeks in a row as we do right now, send us another note, and we'll take a look at what else it might be. But for right now, I bet you a large sum of money, you're going to feel better if you keep going with it. You're going to start to like it if you keep going with it. You start to make friends there. You're going to feel even better, and these doubts are going to begin to go the other way. Don't give up on the stuff you're investing in, and don't give up on yourself. That is a great place to start this off. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I think uh, Jed points to something very important, which is and something we talk about on the show a lot, but it's, it's definitely worth kind of reminding and getting into, is that being new sucks. That's yeah. not the same as you being unable to do something. The fact that you feel that a big part of this sucks might be the newness, not the thing, right? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's the exact sentence. I mean, being new is terrible. Nobody likes being new. The problem is when you're new, everybody else there is is old hat. Like they all they all fit in. They're all friends together. And the problem also on that is that everything that it takes to build new relationships that feels impossible to do. It feels like these things that when you look at it, it looks like if somebody asked you to like climb some ridiculous mountain or something like that, that's what it feels like at the beginning. The deal is, is that every step you take toward making new relationships, they all actually get easier as you go, as you do them. I know it doesn't feel like that now. I know that the way it feels like right now is I hate being new. I don't want to do the thing. But I assure you that every step that you take on this, they feel horrible and they all get a little bit easier. Scripturally, um, God wants to give you strength for this. He wants to give you courage for this. And he wants you to have to go to him and ask for those things. He wants you to have to go to him and 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 pray those those prayers, give me the courage, give me the strength, give me somebody who will be who will be kind and receptive and somebody that I can hang with and all that kind of stuff. He wants to have that kind of relationship with you where you are dependent on him for the virtues that you're going to need to be able to pull this thing off at the next step. But here's the other really, really cool thing, just so that you know, and I know this this is not going to feel like something that that you believe right now, but Scripturally speaking, you have something that the Holy Spirit's given you, something that you bring to the table in this fellowship that they need. Like if they're at good, they need your thing to become great. And I think it would be cool for you to walk in there with a little bit of that sense. God's given me something like a superpower. And when I find my place where I fit in this fellowship and in this community, I'm going to take this thing to a different place because God has brought me here and he's given me a a, a spiritual gift. That's just in the Bible. And he wants to use that to to elevate the game, the ministry game, the kingdom, uh, you know, participation game of this fellowship of believers to a new thing. You have a thing. It's unique. It's not anybody else's thing. It's a superpower and they need you there. And if you went in with a little bit of that chip on your shoulder of like, hey, I might not even know what it is. They might not know what it is, but these folks need me. And I've got a part to play. I've got a role to play. Um, and I can help serve in such a way that this place goes from good to great. That would be really, really cool. The last thing I would say is just practically speaking, making new friends is the worst. It sucks. It is risky. It can hurt when you get when you sense some actual rejection, when some when somebody disses you, they don't text you back or they don't call you back or whatever the thing is, that kind of stuff is risky and it hurts. But the rewards of trying to make new friends are worth it. Um, I would say take one step at a time, and 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 this is something I stole from the guys on on this show from their ministry, but and they stole it from Jesus, by the way. Um, from Matthew chapter 7, but um, <laughs> the look on Glenn's face, <laughs> he's like, are you accusing me of stealing from Jesus? <laughs> but the, 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 principle, the principle on this is when you are going to make friends, you need to give away for free the thing you most want. That's what you need to do. Now, 
they, you know, that's a, that's a principle that Jesus said. You know, the way he said it was, treat others the way you want to be treated. You want to make a friend? Go be a friend. You need someone to listen to you? You go listen to somebody else. You want somebody to meet your needs? You go meet somebody else's needs. These sound like Himalayan mountains to climb. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the reward is great for the risk here. And every step you take, it's going to get a little bit easier, a little bit more doable as you do these things. A, that is all incredibly good stuff. And B, also next time I see someone on like social media just post just a Bible verse, I want to respond with, you stole that from Jesus. Yup. <laughs> I just really you know, accused him of some intellectual uh, property theft there. Uh, but all great stuff from Lee. And Glenn, let me just close this out here because I think uh, Lee is absolutely right that uh, we can't look at how we're doing based on the fact that I don't like doing a new thing because nobody likes doing new things. That's crazy. Right. But I think there's also this idea of prejudging oneself. Yeah, uh, we deal with a lot with the men and women work at the bridge. Is a uh, this idea of a oh, pride? No one wants me there, and as we've kind of gently poked fun at, maybe no one wants you there. The the far more accurate thing is they're too busy worried if anyone wants them there to really be all that worried <laughs> right. about you. So, and in another way, that's an odd freedom. Well, for sure, uh, you should never underestimate how completely engrossed people are in themselves. I'm fascinating. <laughs> I mean, people spend a lot of time thinking about themselves. You think, well, no, you know, I overheard this conversation at church where these two church ladies were talking about this dress the gal was wearing and whatever. That's because they're both insecure. That's still a thought about themselves. They're they're referencing how this woman wearing this dress makes them feel about themselves in their dress. They're still thinking about themselves. It's all them. This is uh, part of the human condition. This is how people are. They're that way everywhere. There aren't better people in church. Uh, They're just people who are forgiven and and are working on, you know, uh, receiving something from the Lord that's growing inside of them and and helping them to be better. Uh, But it's important for you to recognize that... uh, if people are that focused on themselves, they're they're not really looking to scrutinize you, perhaps on the level that you're imagining. It doesn't quite work that way, but it works that way. I, I think it's important to recognize that it works that way to the negative and to the positive. In other words, they don't notice it quite as many of the negative things you might think they would be focused on uh, in terms of just going through your whole situation with a fine tooth comb. But it actually works the same way to the positive. Uh, in other words, uh, I've been Christianing for a long time, and sometimes I do it good. You Christian very well. Sometimes I get in people's face. I just, uh, man, I just, you know, this is some Christianness. I just Christianed in here. They, they don't, you know, no, nobody's throwing a parade over that. You know, <laughs> so it doesn't. It just kind of doesn't work that way. By and large, people. Uh, should care, uh, and 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 in a good church, a decent church, a reasonably healthy church, they will care about what it is that you bring to the table. And that means, when I say what you bring to the table, I mean what you can do for them. Uh, and that's uh, where Lee was was leading us up to that this idea that uh, you are meant to be a servant, I am meant to be a servant, they are meant to be a servant. If you get in there and you serve them, or if you serve the needs of the church, or you're serving people outside of the church and 
bringing that to the church and part of the life of the church and people at the church can participate in that and that opens new opportunities. All of that is, is under the heading of being a servant. People will care about that. People will have a reaction to that. And also, they won't nitpick all the little details of your life uh, unless they're complete jerks because this is about, hey, this is a, uh, a person who's living out something amazing and it's making my life better. You know, If you bake cookies for people, if you say, hey, I've been praying for you this week, if you say, how's it going with your leg? Last week you were saying your leg was kind of paining you and I've been praying about it all week. I'm here for you. You know, do you want me to go to the grocery store and get you some groceries or what? The di- People will like you. Yep. There's nothing not to like about that. How dare that fellow show compassion? The, you know, yeah. This, you figure out what you can do for them. But now I'm going to flip this around because here's another element to this is you're, to figure out what they're supposed to be doing for you. Uh, and it might not be the things that you have in mind right now. So, for example, uh, you know, if you're part of a good and healthy church, you should expect a certain level of encouragement off that. You should expect them to pay attention to what's going on with you, especially if you say, here's what's going on with me. Uh, you should expect them to celebrate your victories with you and mourn your losses with you. Uh, and so, you know, there should be healthy expectations that you have of them. But self-esteem really shouldn't be on that list. And I sense right now that maybe it is. Uh, self-esteem is a thing that you control that's on you now they again they should give you encouragement there should be a validation element to that there should be a sense of hey we 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 love you and god loves you and we accept you and receive you and we see you working on things so you just hang on in there and we got your back that's you know they're meant to do all that but that's not giving you self-esteem that's a thing that you work out within yourself if we if we take that off the table uh, in terms of an expectation of what they should be giving you, then suddenly we it's a lot easier to figure out what you can do for them and what is reasonable for you to expect them to do in return. Those are all really great points. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, what did Jesus mean when he said that the world will hate Christians? Like I'll see Christians being total jerks and non-Christians telling them off, and then the jerkish Christians will write that off like, well, Jesus said the world will hate me. Uh, so it's a great question. It's a uh, totally observable phenomenon for all of us, I think. And Lee, where do we start off with this? Well, I can tell you the example that you have uh, provided in your question, that's not what Jesus was talking about. Oh. If you are a jerk face, then they have the right to call you out for being a jerk face. Another thing that Jesus said uh, right the night before he went to the cross was, um, they will know that you are my disciples by your love. Oh. Which is a very interesting thing, because what Jesus did is he gave all the outsiders the right to decide who was a Christian or not a Christian. He said, they will know if you're my disciples. And the metric is one thing, by whether or not you love people. So if you are a jerk face kind of person, then they have the right to say, you know what, you're not even on that Jesus thing. No matter what you profess or or how often you go to church, or anything. So that example that you're giving, yeah, that doesn't really hold water. Um, the interesting thing is that as believers, we, we're, we're kind of told that we're going to experience both sides of the coin on this thing. What I mean is this. 
um, we are encouraged as believers to have a good reputation with outsiders. And if we're doing this walk in the right way, we will. Um, I can tell you that I have friends who are not believers in Jesus, uh, do not have any, uh, you know, they don't, they, they don't have any affiliation with any kind of church or they don't, they don't even have a religion of their own or anything like that. And they have huge problems with the super vocal Christians that are in the news and, and on the social media and everything, always responding to the political stuff. But then when they ask me about my life and the things, the kind of work that we do here, the kind of stuff that Christy and I are involved in, the kind of stuff that, that our church is involved in, they look at all that and they go, well, that's cool. That's really cool that you're doing that, man. Um, I respect that. T- tell me more about that. So it, it makes perfect sense when you're walking this thing out the right way that outsiders, even outsiders that have a problem with really vocal, you know, political Christian stuff would look at, uh, you know, a life of service and love and self-sacrifice and say, that's really cool, man. I, I respect that. I like that. So we're told to, we need to have a, a good reputation with outsiders. At the exact same time, it makes perfect sense that we're going to have misunderstanding from people and that people outside of this are not going to really understand where we're coming from. When you preach the good news kind of the beginning of that whole message is you're broken, busted, and you need forgiveness and fixing. You need to change. And that's not a message that, that, that people always want to hear. And so there are, there are certain things about the world that are always going to kind of hate that message. Um, that's going to be a stumbling block for folks. That's going to be a difficult thing for people to hear. And some people are going to want to shut that kind of thing down because the message of the world is, no, I'm awesome, and I can just awesome my way out of anything with my awesomeness. And the message of the gospel is, actually, you're not awesome. You needed to be rescued, and God has a much better life in store for you, but it starts with this kind of place of honesty and, and need. Um, and if you, can, if you can go to a humble place of that, then, then you can find it. Um, but and and this is the kind of odd thing is that we should be able to kind of live in both parts of this world of having a good reputation with outsiders. And at the same time, we have a message that for some people is going to be very, very difficult to hear, very, very difficult to accept because it's a message that begins with humility. Um, so this is the thing, but this whole idea where you started with the question of like, I get to be a jerk and then if somebody calls me out, then I'm being persecuted for Jesus' sake. No, nah, man, that's not what Jesus is on. We are called to love people and to serve people and not to be yelling or screaming or be in anybody's face. That's absolutely right. And Jed, love you could just pick us up there because uh, we do have, it's not as, uh, it's not one of the more uh, discussed verses in the Bible, which is interesting, but there is some stuff in the New Testament that kind of directly addresses that difference Lee's talking about, right? There sure is. I read to you from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 14 and 16. I'm reading from the Living Bible, uh, but you can read any translation you want. It's going to say the same thing. Be happy if you are cursed and insulted for being a Christian. Okay, that sounds pretty good so far. Mm. For when that happens, the Spirit of God will come upon you with great glory. All right, I like glory. Sounds, we're, hey, we're really yeah. getting somewhere. Don't let me hear of your suffering for murdering or stealing, well, I don't do either of those things, so no problem. Okay. Or making trouble. Oh, um, wait, uh-oh. Okay. Uh-oh. 
or being a busybody. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. you know, and prying. When, when you say busybody, does that mean posting things on Facebook? Well, let's specifically fi- let's find out. We'll read the next prepositional phrase and prying into other people's affairs. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> but it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. He says, in contrast to the things he just listed, <laughs> praise God for the privilege of being in Christ's family and being called by his wonderful name. So here's the thing. Um, suffering for being a jerk is not the same as suffering for the Lord. Hello? Like, at all. This is the Bible explicitly stating that, right? It's saying, if, you, if you're persecuted because you're a Christian, well, that's like a blessing. That's a beautiful thing, and you, you share in Christ's sufferings. If people are, uh, if you are suffering because, and let's read it in reverse order, you pried into other people's affairs, you were a busybody, and you made trouble. Uh, think about Peter for a second. Literally saying, I don't even want to hear about that. Whoa. Think about that yeah. for a second. Say, don't tell me about that. Yeah. That's not what I want to hear about. So the Bible is directly answering this question, saying, no, this stuff about being a jerk, that's just about you being a jerk, man. Mm-hmm. But I think it's worth looking because there's there's a cultural thing here. And something that we talk about pretty regularly on the show is the temptation to baptize the wrong stuff that you're into or that I'm into. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff in modern Christianity that baptizes greed. Right. It takes the endless lust for more and says, that's good. That's what God wants. Hint, it's not. Greed is bad. Similarly, we were actually talking on our last episode about the idea that a lot of this purity culture stuff was baptizing the fear of vulnerability. I don't, I don't want to have to be vulnerable. I don't have to put myself out there. We'll decide that fear is good, right? Well, this, this is a problem. Okay, I'll tell you all that to say this. There is right now, I, I know it's true in America, it may be true globally, but it's definitely true here. There is a belief that about the highest form of self-actualization one can achieve is trolling. <laughs> it's just pissing other people off for yeah. the sake of pissing them <laughs> off. Yeah. I mean, it's it's weird that that could that people could believe that. But they really do. If you spend more than about 30 minutes on Twitter or Facebook, it's inescapable that there is a large swath of human beings currently alive, at least in the U.S., that, again, believe the greatest degree of joy, the greatest degree of pleasure a person can have is pissing other people off. Just for the sake of pissing them off. Right. No other goal but causing another person distress. I'm triggering them. I'm triggering the snowflakes. Right. All right. So what we have going on with this idea, with with your question, is there are Christians who have taken that urge to just be emotionally harmful to others, and they've baptized it. They've said, as long as you're trolling with Jesus-y stuff, then when they don't like it, that's you getting persecuted for your faith. Wow. That's what they've done. (laughs) This is no different than baptizing people's greed. Mm -hmm. This is no different from baptizing people's fear of intimacy. We have taken a thing that is damaging, and we've spread some Jesus on it, and we've called it good. That's bad. Yeah. That's really, really super-duper not good. Like, the kind of thing I think Jesus explicitly called out to the religious leaders of his time as being extremely bad and inadvisable. Right. I want (laughs) to... I want to return to to where Lee started us. If you actually want to have a witness for Christ, if you actually want to impact the world for Christ, serve people. Yeah. Put love into action 
and serve people. Is it possible at some point you will have to you'll be thrust into a situation where you have to say an unpopular truth because it's the right thing to say? It's possible. It's probably not where you're going to start, though. Start nope. by setting up chairs for this AA meeting. Start by going and lifting and toting and helping people and earn the credibility so that if you do need to say something that's hard to hear, people are at least willing to hear you out. It's a great point. It's really fantastic. And uh, let me just close out here because Jed brings up religious leaders. Yeah. And they have a, a role to play in what we're talking about here and the, yeah. what the scripture actually says, don't they? Well, yes. I mean, uh, when I think a lot of the problems we have with interpreting the Bible is we tend to fall into some natural assumptions about it, and we don't examine those assumptions. If you read a, a verse where you know Jesus said they're gonna they're going to hate me and they're going to hate you because of me, you assume that the that when he's talking about the world hating you, that is referring to a a socially progressive liberal movement and a secular humanistic uh, thought process that might emerge from that. <laughs> that didn't exist at this particular time. Uh, when he's talking about the world, he's talking about religious leaders that don't <laughs> accept Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you say, well, let's look at that verse then. Are you a religious person that doesn't actually accept what Jesus is preaching? Hmm. Uh-oh. Because here's the thing. Do people hate you because you're so much like Jesus? <laughs> or did they say, my understanding of Jesus, flawed as it may be, does not line up in any way with anything you're doing or saying? If that's the case, they don't hate you because you're like Jesus. They hate you specifically because you're not like Jesus. That's the opposite of the thing. I mean, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills that I have to explain some of this. You know, uh, people aren't saying, you know, I hate the Prince of Peace, and because I'm a secular humanist person, and I, you know, I'm I'm part of the world in a secular world, and I hate the Prince of Peace and and the idea of eternal life in paradise. I hate forgiveness, and I hate all the acceptance and joy that he's trying to give the world. I hate that. <laughs> People do not say that. Okay, <laughs> they're just rejecting you. They don't like you. They're fine with Jesus. They're fine with us, by the way, you know, yep. the, do, doing what we do. Uh, and those people think of us as Christians, and I find that a little hilarious because it, if if uh, if you are getting on the internet and trolling and doing your thing, whatever, you're probably better behaved than I am. Sure. But to the world, I'm more Christian than you are, and I, I think that's kind of hilarious because, you know, you're, you're the one behaving in everything. But it's because... They have an idea that, that Jesus would care about the poor, and he would care about the sick, and that he would care about people who are locked up in jail. I'm just citing things at random that, that might be in Matthew 25. I don't know. Mm, unsure. Uh, but let's, <laughs> That's let's, not one of the Bible verses I like. Well, I see. The ones I like are mostly about judging. Well, I, I'll, give you, I'll give you one that I think that you'll, you'll really love. This is a Bible verse, Romans 2, chapter 4. Now, here's the thing. 
I think we're talking about hatred. Uh, the the there's a word that's going to be coming up in this verse, uh, contempt. And if you compare that word to the the Greek word for contempt and the Greek word for hatred, the contempt one is way harder than hate. Okay. So that's you know. Yeah. Okay. Here's the other thing. We got the contempt element, and who's contempt and who for what? But here's another thing that lines of distinction we want to draw. I think this boils down to is being mean good. <laughs> I don't know, Glenn. I I'm feel not like sure. I'm talking to 12 year olds. <laughs> is mean being good? What? You know, feels powerful. Feels what if I'm like, being mean to someone who's different than me? Then it's good, right? I'm I'm meaning the world into being a better place and fighting the forces of evil. So there's meanness on one side, and there's kindness on the other. That's the, sounds pretty liberal. Well, that's the thing. Is for a lot of people, <laughs> it boils down to is meanness. Is that do we should we be mean or should we be kind? Which of these two things is the life that God wants us to live, and what path does God want us to go? I don't down? want to accidentally be too kind for Christianity, right? So here's Romans two four. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? That means if your whole jammy jam is you want everybody to repent for everything, you should be telling them about God's kindness, because if you don't, you are showing something more than hatred for God and his kindness. <laughs> the people, when it talks about people hating Jesus, they're talking about you. <laughs> you are the one that hates what Jesus is about and all of his kindness and love oh and helping people. This isn't, uh, you aren't the subject of this, you're the object of it. This is about you. And it's about realizing, and let's be fair to, if that's where your head is at, let's be fair to you. It's possible to hear the wrong voice and just drift and drift and drift and drift and get so far off on something. You can't find your way back to this man who calls himself the Prince of Peace, the, that, that wants eternal life in paradise for everybody, that for him, kindness it has the power to change people's lives. Come back to that. Realize you've gone a long, long way in a funny direction, and we've all been there. No one on this show is judging you, but it is about recognizing you've got this thing all the way around backwards. I think that's absolutely right. One thing I would, I would add to what these guys are talking about, and it's, it kind of goes exactly along with what Glenn is saying there, and it is a, a kind of thinking that gets people on the exact opposite end of this. Um, and it's as again, as Glenn points out, we're not judging it because everyone falls prey to occasionally, but some people it really gets stuck and messes them up. Is this idea that I am Christian, therefore anything I think, do, any opinion I have, is the Christian one. So for someone to react negatively to that is them reacting to my Christianness. You know, if I have thoughts about what other people should be doing with their relationships or bodies or uh, political thoughts, or cultural thoughts, or whatever, if that somebody is mad at that, and I am consider myself the kind of 
the apotheosis of all that is Christianity, that is akin to them rejecting Jesus because I am so very Christian. And it's not something a lot of people say out loud, and I understand, but you can read that kind of thinking in people's reactions. So it is yeah. all that takes us all the way back to where uh, Lee started us off with humility. Some of this is, you know, we, you know, we're on this table. We occasionally in our ministry environments uh, online and stuff, we'll have a moment to say that seemed like it went down really bad. Why is that? And sometimes it, it, the tr- answer, uh, we probably have this more than most people truly is. I said the, the true thing and they super didn't want to hear it. And you know, they reacted badly. Sometimes it's, I didn't say that right. Or I should have a lot of what we do in our preaching at the bridge is, if something doesn't go down with the audience, it's not, we don't jump straight to, well, they just love the darkness. Right. That's and they right. can't handle the truth we're laying down. It's one of those, okay, did I not, did I phrase that in a weird way? Is there something a reasonable person would not like about this other than just hating me because I am so very holy? And that's yeah. an important sanity check yeah. to be able to do with yourself. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Tell the song this week. This is from. Our August edition of Bridgebox. This is Lee laying down an awesome version of Jesus Hated All. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God bless you. There's nothing you can do about it. This is a podcast reminding you that Monster Energy Drink will not put Satan in your stomach, but Flaming Hot Cheetos will make it feel pretty satanic. <laughs> I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Still